0: Look, Elaine. Thai car wash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just read that. That's terrific.
0: Her father wrote that.
1: Alton Bennis is your father? Yeah. I always felt he deserved a wider audience. <sighs> I'm not so sure he wants one. <laughs> Hello,
0: and welcome to the place to be—a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Suanne Spoke. Suan has appeared in a number of films and TV shows including Weeds, Gilmore Girls, ER, Criminal Minds, Whiplash, The Thing About Pam, Wild Prairie Rose, Judging Amy, Station 19, and the Larry Sanders show. But Seinfeld fans will always remember her for playing the customer who told Elaine she was a big fan of her father's writing in the classic season 2 episode The Jacket, and we're so glad she can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Suan.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, well, we really appreciate having you because honestly, you know, Eric and I have talked about this before, but this is one of our favorite episodes of season two. It's just such a classic and, <laughs> you know, there aren't a lot of people that are in and outside the main four, so It's so great that we get to talk to somebody else that was in that episode.
1: Yeah, I, uh, it's still there are moments from that episode that have really still make me laugh when I think about it. Not necessarily me, but, um, you know, George and uh, Elaine's father, who was hilarious.
0: Just amazing. Yeah. But before we get into your role on Seinfeld, we're actually going to go back a little bit further. You and your ex-husband worked on a show called Fridays, which Larry David and Michael Richards were also a part of. So do you have any stories about working with them on that show?
1: Well, certainly the thing that I would say about Larry David, because he was a cast member uh, of Fridays, along with Michael Richards, and he was also one of the writers, but the thing about Larry is that what you see now was exactly what was then, exactly the same, and this would have been in like, 1980, 81, 82. His personality has remained unchanged. The hair has gotten a little smaller, a little grayer, but the personality <laughs> has remained consistent throughout um certainly uh michael i had worked with i knew michael uh really quite well and uh larry charles um i was very close with him for quite a long time for several years on that show i also worked with a young filmmaker named tom kramer i did a lot of the short films on that show and. Did a lot of you know? Showed up in s- special scenes, things like that. Yeah.
2: And you say Larry is still the same. So, what memories do you have of him from those years?
1: Well, I I certainly loved that he had created for himself um, the Three Stooges, the role in the Three Stooges, which I thought was <laughs> really perfect for him. He complained a lot. He was irritated a lot. He was bent out of shape a lot. Everybody and everything bothered him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, really what you see is what you get. And the fact that somebody has that kind of continuity of spirit and character and personality. And it's remarkable to me that he really did not have to look outside of himself. To find a meritable character, he was the character. And he built a huge career and platform out of it, which I think is really quite an inspiration. I will say there is a story that uh, I do remember. M- my ex husband's writing partner unfortunately passed away. And he was a member of the Church of Latter day Saints. And when it came time for his funeral, he wanted to go out as he had lived his life. And um, I went to the funeral home and ran into his ex-wife. And she said, do you want to come back and see Mark? Who was the writer? And I said, certainly. And I thought that I was going to go back and see a closed casket, which was not the case. And she said, the bishop is going to be coming back here soon. And uh, there's going to be prayers for the family. Well, before the bishop came back, in comes Larry David. (laughs) In like this Armani suit, beautiful. Behind him, Larry Charles, who has got sunglasses on, a big cowboy hat, black satin pajamas, beads. And we're all back there. And in comes the bishop to start (laughs) to say the sending off goodbye prayers for our dear friend, Mark. But we had to, we had to get in a circle and hold hands. And Larry David was on one side of me and Larry Charles was on the other. (laughs) And I felt like this is an episode upside. (laughs) Right here, right now. They're sort of mumbling under their breath. I mean, it, it still to this day amuses me under very difficult circumstances, needless to say, but uh, there is certainly great humor in those difficult circumstances. Yeah, a little bit of comic relief. Oh, big, big comic relief. It took everything in my power to really not dissolve into gales of laughter in this very sacred, right. and I'm using air quotes, people, sacred <laughs> moment.
2: Well, you know, that reminds me of the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode when Richard Lewis is dating the Christian scientist, and then they're all, they all gather in a circle to say a prayer, and Larry d- doesn't want to <laughs> hold hands with the men, so he switches. He's like, let's do a boy-girl thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he must have been pretty happy with me being on the one side of him because he did take my hand and <laughs> held on to it, you know. There were a couple of sort of winks to the side, you know, a little wink-wink, and I thought, okay. This works for me.
0: Yeah, he definitely didn't want to hold hands with Larry Charles.
1: Probably not, no. They've seen enough of each other. But the two of them, the fact that they worked so closely together and were so diametrically opposed, both in their, you know, their physicality, their vision, their outlook was very, very different. You know, the thing I do remember about Larry David is when I shot that episode. I think it was actually New Year's Eve. I was home on a New Year's Eve and um, it hadn't aired yet. So they were doing post on the episode and Larry David called me on New Year's Eve and he was (laughs) mixing the episode and he said, "Uh, yeah, uh, there's a word that you went up on the word. I'd, I'd like, just over the phone, let's just record it over the phone. Take the word down. Take the word down, not up. We're just going to do it right over the phone, because I'm mixing it. <laughs> he's on New Year's Eve, he's in the recording studio editing. Uh, you know, I, I was so surprised to hear from him. I'm like, sure, whatever you want. You know, I'll do it however you want. If you need me to come in, he goes, no, no, I'll pay you. Don't worry. Just do it over the phone. It's just that one word. We're just going to fix that one word. Which to me was so indicative of the attention to detail, you know, that kind of mastery in terms of how you find the better laugh in terms of intonation. Yeah, he's, a, he's yeah. quite remarkable.
0: Yeah, that's really what makes Seinfeld a cut above.
1: Is that attention to detail. Yep. Really scrutinizing. And it wasn't somebody else. He was not farming that out either. It was not a technician that was doing that on New Year's Eve. It was him.
2: And so one of the words in that scene is recorded?
1: Yes. Oh, wow. Over the phone. Just one. Not a whole sentence. Just one single word. And I actually think the word is end. I don't know why I think that because this is a long time ago. You know,
0: we'll have to really pay attention
2: next time we watch the episode. (laughs) And did you have to audition for the role or I did audition? I did audition
1: because uh, Mark Hirschfeld, who cast uh, it, was a a fan of mine and he brought me in. And so when I went in, uh, I read for producers. They didn't know that I was coming in. So I got to see Larry there, which was really nice. And I can't remember who directed. I'm so sorry. You probably know. You have that at your fingertips. um, Who the director was.
0: Yeah, uh, Tom Sharonis.
1: Yes. Because he always wore uh, like a flak jacket. I remember one of those vests that have all those pockets in it. I didn't get much information from him directorially. I think probably because I knew Larry Charles so well. Larry talked to me a lot during that episode.
2: And I know you knew Larry David and Larry Charles, but what about Jerry? Were you familiar with his stand-up at all?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, of course. And again, you know, uh, my ex-husband and I, uh, he was very involved in stand-up and I was doing stand-up at the time as well. So we were at comedy clubs five or six nights out of the week easily before he got that job. Um, and even, you know, it got so busy trying to produce, you know, 90 minutes of live television every week, sort of ate into our being able to get out in the world and see who was doing what where. Um, but yes, I and to tell you the truth, I, I was really kind of gobsmacked that Larry David had <laughs> gotten the show that he was at the helm of, that it was a show about nothing. That became a show about everything and what great license he gave to the smallest of dilemmas and created such great work around such a simple, simple notion.
2: Yeah, that's why I asked if you auditioned because I was just wondering if he just remembered you from Fridays and thought you would be great for the role.
1: Well, I had been in touch with him. Um, I'm very happy to have been involved with it, particularly that episode, because I think that that is a really special episode. Master of the House. That's haunted me for like two weeks afterwards. Um, Do I think, oh, I would love to have done something more significant or whatever the case might be. But I had so many friends that had worked on it. You still you never know. I mean, it was only the second season, so I was just happy to be involved with it in any capacity what is the name of the actor who played the father do you have it right at your fingertips
0: elaine's father uh, lawrence tierney
1: lawrence tierney so he was quite a character yeah. <laughs> not far afield from what you actually saw he was gruff he was removed every once in a while he'd crack a joke you know <laughs> So we go to work on Friday night. We do a a rehearsal during the day with an audience, which went very well. We go to do the episode that night. It's going very well. We're done. And I hear Larry David say something about pickups. And so I went across back to my dressing room and I had to go back past where the makeup room, hair and makeup was. (laughs) And Mr. Tierney is in there shaving his head. (laughs) <laughs> and I said what are you doing you know I think we're going to do pickups he goes I don't I don't do pickups <laughs> I was like uh, I wonder Larry knows that you don't do pickups he literally shaved his head in the makeup in the hair makeup room got up went home and whether or not he was singing master of the house, I have no idea, but that to me is one of, that's one of my favorite stories. I just thought, what is he doing?
0: That's fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yep. I think he was going to shoot a film uh, and he was leaving the next day, but when he was done, he was done.
0: Yeah. I don't do pickups.
1: Okay. then. is that in your contract
0: yeah and originally Lawrence Tierney Elaine's father was going to be a recurring character but the cast actually caught him trying to steal one of Jerry's kitchen knives from the apartment set so they decided not to ask him back after that of course (laughs) Um, were you on set when that happened did you hear about that did anybody mention it to you after
1: no he was a bit of a problem child you sort of got wind that you know we had to, you had to dance pretty carefully around him. He wasn't terribly open to direction. I also don't think he knew what was funny, but he he was so the antithesis of George and Jerry, you know, that it made the the dynamic was so hilarious. The counterpoint of the two of them, him in that pink and, you know, with that pink and white lining and George singing, you know, master of the house, all he had to do really was sit there. I remember him turning to George and I think they might have improvised this. He said, you know, something, something, choir boy, chorus boy.
0: (laughs) wipe down, (laughs) chorus boy.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Master of the house, <laughs> old ready
1: with the again. down, chorus boy. Jason <laughs> <laughs> Alexander was really afraid of him. I think a lot of people actually on the set were a little scared of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him.
1: <laughs> yeah, quite a character.
0: And what was it like working with Jerry and Julia in that scene you had with them?
1: wonder, I mean, you know, they were very easygoing. They were very comfortable with each other. Um, I had met Jerry before a couple of times at the comedy clubs. I had not met her. He was very smart because I don't think he was the strongest actor of the foursome, but he was brilliant in terms of putting people around him who were exemplary, who were so skilled and so talented that it allowed him the opportunity, I think, to just be who he was as well and not feel like he had to manufacture very much because it was so easy to be entertained by who was around you and to sort of fall in love with them and their quirkiness, which I think he did really quite well. But he could, I mean, he could do... I thought in that scene, particularly uh, when he held up the tie rack, you know, and said car wash, you know, he improvised that. So he's very, you know, he was very, very quick on his feet that way, which I thought was terrific. I knew that we that part of that scene was expository and that we were establishing the big entrance of the, you know, the dad and and us sort of diverting maybe attention from, you know, the kind of person he was, you know, we dispel the certain expectation about what he was going to be, you know, this well-known writer, professor type, and in comes Lieutenant Colonel Nightmare, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, because you set up his character really nicely in that scene. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is too bad that he didn't come back because I think there would have been a lot to unearth. There was a lot about (laughs) Elaine and her subsequent relationships (laughs) that I think you could understand quite, quite well if you got to see that father a little bit more, especially when you have like a putty, when you have, you know, Patrick, who I had worked with, I produced a play in Los Angeles and worked with patrick before he was really doing much of anything you know oh wow yeah and uh so i went to see him when he was doing uh dave's world which was uh on the same lot if i remember correctly over at cbs radford
2: and what was your overall impression of the show like even just the scene you were in like we talked about jerry doing the tie car wash mm-hmm. um, there's also the back and forth that he has with elaine when they talk about how why don't they open up an entire store of the back call it just back you walk <laughs> in the front you're immediately in the back <laughs> like, like those are the things in the earlier seasons that i love i know adam loves as well just there's so much great dialogue
1: yeah there's a purview uh, an overall perspective about the absurdity of life in the most menial and pedestrian and banal ways that they have such a gift they both had such a gift of turning that into something so hilarious and so delicious I I also the the, one of the things that I loved about Jerry is um, and the characters this organizational sensibility you know the sneakers those white sneakers the You know, how the cereal boxes. I mean, he sort of portends like a, you know, a Sheldon Cooper in a way in Big Bang Theory later. There's a, you know, certainly Jerry had better social skills than Sheldon did, but, you know, you sort of get a a similar, you know, there's not a lot of that kind of archetype, you know, or stereotype. And uh, I love that about that character. And Michael and I, you know, I I'm actually on the faculty of an arts institute. I teach in um, a graduate film directing program and I talk a lot about entrances and I show a lot of times footage from Michael entering the apartment, like a series of them, like 20 of, of them. course, you know, um, that how a precipitating event can change somebody's move into uh an apartment. Yeah, so it's yeah. interesting that I kind of use that as a template in a very kind of uh you know we're a, an experimental arts institute. So the fact that I use something as traditional as Seinfeld, but I think it makes its point clearly.
2: And were you able to watch any of the scenes from that episode that you weren't in, like that scene with Lawrence Tierney or any of those other oh great god, scenes? Oh god, yes. Uh That's awesome.
1: Because it made me laugh so hard in the hotel, in the lobby, when Elaine is late and they have to entertain him. (laughs) Oh, it's it's golden. It's golden. I watched it uh, as many times as I could. Actually, (laughs) there's some sets that I'm on that I be more private or. Or, you know, I do kind of a hands-off. It depends on the environment, you know, but that one was definitely one. Um, and I happen to love Les Mis. I think I had seen it just recently myself, and it it was an earworm to me as well, which it continued to be for like a month afterwards. I still can't think of that song without thinking of that scene.
0: Oh, yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> Again, it's just such a simple thing, you know, the jacket. It's like the pirate shirt. That's not what they call it, but, you know. Puffy shirt. Puffy <laughs> shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh,
0: amazing. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, that pink and white light.
0: Yes. Oh, <laughs> my God. Candy striped lighting.
1: <laughs> yeah, boy. Oh yeah so i did watch that in fact that's the scene and they were in the bathroom too at one point i remember i didn't watch that scene as much but because they were by themselves i love just watching the three of them together that just you know the their the degree of awkwardness and uncomfortability was at the root of that scene that just made me laugh so hard
0: and aside from getting to watch, you know, the scenes with uh, Jason and Jerry and uh, Lawrence Tierney, um, do you have any other memories of Jason or Michael that week?
1: Um, well, Michael and I had known each other pretty well from Fridays. I don't remember anything, I'm sorry, specifically about, you know, chatting something up. I What year was that shot? 1989?
2: That was 91.
1: Okay, yeah, that's a long time ago, my friends <laughs> uh, I'm old now,
0: it's- a year after I was born.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're killing me, you're killing me.
2: <laughs> you remember I a lot say, though you have some great stories.
1: I will say, oh yeah, we had a Christmas party that year. Seinfeld had a big Christmas party, and um. And that's why I think that that New Year's Eve was when we when Larry called me to change the because it hadn't aired yet. Anyway, um, I go to this Christmas party in a white turtleneck with a white lace skirt. I was younger then and uh, white boots (laughs) and um, with a white purse. Christmas, you know, I look like a snowflake. And they had passed hot wings as an appetizer. <laughs> I love hot wings, so I rationed. I took like two, maybe three. Took my first bite, was talking to Larry David, and I tipped the plate, and the hot wings bounced down my chest, my stomach, my skirt, my purse, my shoes, <laughs> my- my white, my beautiful white snowflake winter ensemble at the Seinfeld Christmas party was covered from top to toe with hot wing sauce. And I made a quick, quick exit because I was humiliated and was also afraid that it could be fodder for an episode. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: know, all the people to do it in front of. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And Larry laughed very, very hard as I was trying to catch the hot wing in the air. You know, a juggling act with hot wings brought to you by.
2: Oh, that's great. (laughs) Where did they have that Christmas party?
1: I want to say that it was the improv. I think it was at the improvisation on Melrose.
2: Who else was at the party? Like, were there any guest stars from any of the episodes from that season that you remember?
1: I don't remember. I'm sorry, off the top of my head, but it was packed. It was a mob scene. Because, again, that was a time where we had the luxury of money was spent on parties and celebrations and events and, you know, things like that. So uh, there's less of that these days, you know, unless you're... kardashian or something like that (laughs) or a or a real housewife of somewhere repugnant
2: and you mentioned the jacket earlier and that's one of the biggest mysteries in the history of the show is how much that jacket costs and you're probably the only cast member we're going to talk to that was in this episode so we have to ask you do you know how much that jacket cost
1: i think it was 400 450 Which at that time would would have been a chunk of change, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. 20, uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Did someone tell you that?
1: I can't remember how I know that.
2: Oh, but you do know.
1: I think that's what it was.
2: We're getting the exclusive. This is a breaking exclusive. Wow.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. Uh. I don't know how breaking it is, but that's my <laughs> recollection of it. I think that there was there was a tag on it that they shared, that they looked at, and I think I caught a glimpse of it, and I remember a four, and I don't think it would have been four thousand dollars. It's too sporty. Oh, the jacket's I mean, too sporty.
0: Yeah, that's fun. Well, because we did an entire episode about Seinfeld mysteries, and that was one of the top ones we <laughs> talked about that's that's one that people are always wondering how much to mystery spelled wow so, it's you
1: know, great do you guys ever get a, i mean ha, have you ever heard from Larry David or Larry Charles has anyone ever reached out to you
2: well, I'm sure they listen all the time but uh we no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is my Larry belief. David's our number
2: one fan <laughs> that's my
1: belief and prayer for you
2: yeah. Thank honestly, we haven't reached out yet. I'm too afraid.
1: <laughs> uh, don't be. Don't Maybe be afraid. Keep yeah. you know, you're keeping love alive. That's what you're doing, right?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: I like that. So I know you got to watch uh some of the scenes being filmed and such. Did you get to watch any of the very stand up segments from the show that were being filmed?
1: Uh no, I don't think so. It's it's hard it's hard for me to remember because, like I said, I did see Jerry live in comedy clubs. Um, you know, I loved his stand up. Oh, you know, fantastic. I, yeah. I you know there are certain comedians still to this day that I I love so much, like Stephen Wright. He was somebody oh. that I I adored. I One just, of my favorites. Uh, yeah. I read the dictionary. I thought it was a poem about everything. It's <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> lines of all time. Um, oh, it's this, this, this too many. Oh, it's great. I know. Um, I, I'm not. I, I'm not crazy about blue humor because I think it's too easy. So the fact that somebody can take an observation of everyday life and present it in a way that catches us off guard. I think is a, uh, you know, a tribute to their brilliance and their skill set. You know, Uh, it's really easy when you start talking about body parts and functions and people laugh out of uncomfortability and, you know, or you swear up a storm, you know, ha, ha, ha. But I think it takes a very, very special talent to do what he did and to stay so clean, so long. And not that that was the overall impetus of his work was just to be clean, but he stayed with what he knew he excelled at, which was a way of looking at the world like nobody else.
0: Yeah. There's almost like a, almost also a little bit of like childlike innocence to it as well. Mm-hmm. Tributes it's like, the... don't
1: you think, Yeah. don't you <laughs> isn't that something you know, just, right? it, like, it does it's have so a sense weird of, like, yeah. of wonderment about it you know and he even carried that into i think you know uh, driving in cars and going to have coffee or what you know whatever the name of that is he has that he's maintained that you know yeah.
2: and i think that's why he works so well with larry david because Larry wasn't as clean and, and Jerry was able to clean up a lot of his scripts. Like the original script for the contest was not as clean as, as it ended up being. And that was because Jerry was like, you know what, let's not even say the word. And, and mm-hmm. that, that ended up being so much funnier.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they're sort of like frickin' frack because one has that much darker and the other one has a brighter. But somehow they found a congruency that really served both of them so well to think that they really couldn't get arrested, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Larry David couldn't get hired. Yeah. He couldn't get hired. So I guess you, you know, you forge your own path and you, you know, you speak to what you know and that like cream will rise to the top because it certainly did in his case.
0: Yeah. And what was your favorite part about being on the show that week?
1: Uh, <laughs> that's the scene in that hotel lobby. Yeah, that's I I mean, it just is. I just think it's, it's uh, you know, not to take away from the song, but it's masterful. It is so masterful. Oh. And, you know, using that song as a... As a backdrop, as a point of irritation and conflict. And uh, yeah, I think it's quite brilliant.
2: Totally. That scene when George is trying to guess the price of the jacket is also amazing.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, you know, there, it's so in keeping with his nature, you know. He's a little greedy. The thing about money—he he wants to be in on everything. He's, you know, right. he's yeah, so he materialistic, and yet he wants to condemn Jerry because he spent money on jack I mean, you know, on yeah. And well, on he can't goes. even. Yeah, he
0: can't even imagine anybody spending that amount of money on a jacket. Like to him, yeah. that's just excessive. You because know, why buy gre- this? He
1: he is both greedy and cheap. Yeah. <laughs> The bad <laughs> yes. It's true. It's true.
2: And I love how no one wants to know the price of the jacket more than him. And he's the only one that doesn't know.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Perfect. Exactly.
0: That's right.
2: So did you ever get to work with any of the cast members outside of the show?
1: Well, I, I actually have met uh, Jason several times because he's involved in an organization that, I support called We Spark, which is a support organization for uh, people with cancer, and uh, it's not necessarily research, but it literally is support like Reiki and yoga and therapy. and And uh, he is a, a big sponsor and supporter. and um, The organization does an annual poker tournament that he is, you know, one of the guys who is sort of at the helm of that. He's a um, a really trusted friend and ally and advocate for the organization. And uh, um, so I've seen him in that context. He also does a lot of theater uh, in town, directs a lot. And uh, I've done theater in Los Angeles here for a long, long time. You know, not so much lately because of the pandemic and so on and so forth. And, you know, like last, you know, all last fall, I was in New Orleans shooting the thing about Pam. And um, so certainly I've seen him. Uh, There was a Friday's reunion a few years ago. I was trying to see if I could find any photographs just because I wanted to see if I could send one on to you guys just for you to have. Um, And of course, I saw Michael there. Michael's doing a lot of photography work now and has had to make certainly some adjustments. Uh, in his life due to, you know, some unfortunate circumstances. Um, I was recently in contact with Larry Charles about um, a project that he was doing that was affiliated with Bill Maher. And uh, Julie, I have not seen. And um, I did shoot um, Third Rock from the Sun with... uh, Wayne, (laughs) he, he, he was my date. Uh, I was double dating with was another actress and John Lithgow. And uh, that was another situation where even in the scene together, we all laughed so hard that we could hardly even get through rehearsal. You know, amazing. uh, Yeah, it was fantastic. And I had come from, I think, two weeks prior to shooting Third Rock, I had done another television show, which shall remain nameless, um, (laughs) with a lead actor who had recently come out of rehab, who should have stayed in rehab. And the last thing I remember from that week was, They had taken their script and set it on fire uh, in the studio. (laughs) They got rid of that script. So everyone was fired that week. It was a, a very horrifying, uncomfortable situation. And then two weeks later, I got to do Third Rock, which was such a gift of amusement and delight and love and it was so fabulous so it kind of took the edge off that previously horrible experience
0: yeah it was a blessing in disguise it sounds like
1: (laughs) yes it was a blessing right out in the open
0: yeah yeah, yeah. it was
1: right out in the open it wasn't even hidden and the set that studio was right next to where i had worked the two weeks prior and I can tell you, we were on—we were coming back from a dinner break, and we were all getting ready to do like a speed through of lines in uh, John's uh, dressing room. He invited the cast to come in, and he had individual gifts for everybody, which was so touching and so loving. <laughs> but this other show, which shall remain nameless, I saw the crew and cast coming back. <laughs> and they were their heads were just down their shoulders were down you could tell that they were just a you know they were just so beaten up by the the whole experience it you know
0: and was there another show you worked on that reminded you a lot of seinfeld at all
1: well you know it's funny but it's sort of just the reverse because i did the larry sanders show great show years ago and uh gary shandling who i adored I was supposed to do like one uh, guest spot, and I kept getting, um, we filmed some stuff that was on location, and then I was supposed to come back and do his talk show. And because of other people that he had coming in, I kept getting bumped, so I was able to come back like four or five different times and just kind of hang out with him and talk with him and... Uh, He's another guy who I just thought was a savant and a kind, generous soul. He terrified me a little bit because he improvises a lot. And I'm somebody that loves a good script that you can stick to. (laughs) 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 He can play with the dialogue. And so you really have to, you had to be on your toes with him. But there was something about, again, his way of looking at the world. There was something about his his crankiness that reminded me a little bit of of course you know Larry David translated into George you know so that 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 that's a show where I see a parallel and I'm really thrilled that I was able to do both of those shows because I I hold them in very high esteem you know Gary was such a wonderful actor He took acting really, really seriously. He studied with uh, Roy London for a very, very long time. You know, it was important to him. He really looked at it as an art form on top of, um, you know, the writing skill that he had, his developmental skill that he had in creating the show and the, the character. But he took acting really seriously, I think think jerry really took it very seriously <laughs> he's <laughs> like i'm here i'm ready to go let's just go <laughs> you know? i also correct. worked with richard lewis though i forgot that but richard richard didn't do i'm thinking of uh, curb your enthusiasm i'm sorry yeah it's a lot I'm of sorry. crossover you know
0: oh to- yeah i mean a lot of bleed over totally like
1: yeah
2: and before we move on to our final segment, uh, is there anything we didn't ask you about your time on Seinfeld that you'd like to share with us?
1: Um, gosh, I think we covered. I think we covered. I feel like you guys are very comprehensive. Your attention to detail is really quite extraordinary. So.
2: Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks. We get that from watching the show.
1: <laughs> yeah. Props. I give you lots of props.
2: All right. So before we let you go, we're just going to move on to our final segment. It's called This, That and the Other. So basically, we just ask you a question and then the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. So first question, what is your favorite film?
1: Right now, probably All About Eve. It's one of my favorite films. Network is one of my favorite films. Um, A lot of Hal Ashby. Being there, coming home. Altman, I love, I actually just saw uh, The Woman King, which surprised the bejesus out of me, how moved I was by it, and I just went to South Africa this year, I spent most of June in South Africa, which is where it was shot, so it had a particular uh, poignancy for me, it really, I cried through the last half of it, I, I'm not even sure why, but uh so I don't know if that covers anything, but yeah.
0: What role or performance are you proudest of?
1: I had the opportunity, uh, I'm, as I said, I've done a lot of uh, theater work and I have been affiliated with Deaf West Theater over the years. And I had an opportunity to do Streetcar Named Desire. Um, I played Blanche Dubois and Troy Kotzer, who won the, Academy Award this year for Best Supporting Actor in CODA was my Stanley. And oh, that is, uh, was an experience that I am incredibly proud of. Uh, it was the most, one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. And I certainly loved every moment of it.
2: Oh, that's great. And that actor was amazing.
1: He's, He's amazing. He's one of the best actors I know, and I've thought that before. He, he's another one who couldn't get arrested. And now he's executive producing and creating a television series. I'm so happy for him. It's so richly deserved. And I would say probably in television, I just did Station 19 during COVID uh, before the vaccines came out. And that was very interesting to me because I never stood up once. I played a woman who was attacked by a tiger. You find me on the ground. I moved into a gurney, and then I'm in an ambulance, and then I'm dead. And <laughs> it's a show that I never once uh, stood up. <laughs>
0: There's money lying down. you got to love it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Favorite band or musician?
1: Oh boy, the first thing that came to me is uh dire straits. Oh um, I love dire straits. Um I love talking heads, stop making sense, uh The Last Waltz. You know, I'm a bit of a throwback. Again, you know, I'm a little older than you guys. Although I did pay oh, really good money to celebrate my birthday in the front row mezzanine when Bruce Springsteen was on Broadway. Nice.
0: Favorite story working on the set of a film or TV
1: show? Probably when I did War of the Worlds with, uh, you know, that Spielberg guy. Um, There was one day that Arnold Schwarzenegger was there and John Legend, and they were throwing a birthday party for Dakota Fanning. So they had brought in uh, pizza ovens from a place in New York and a special ice cream thing. And, you know, she had a stunt double and a photo double and her best friend was there and all four of them were dressed exactly alike, which I thought was really adorable. She was quite remarkable because she would sort of sit up and talk to you and, you know, because we were up on this rigging thing this you had to get into you know you had to climb these stairs and ladders to get into the pod where the aliens had captured us and and um she would just be talking about this that and the other thing and uh, you'd hear Stephen call from across the way so Dakota are you ready to go and she'd go just a minute Stephen she'd say hold on just hold on a second and she'd lay back and tears would start to pour down her face you go, okay, Stephen. I'm ready.
2: It was starting to
1: see. I thought this little kid is a wizard. She's a wizard.
2: <laughs> and wow. also,
1: we worked with a lot of. It uh, was one of the first times I worked with so many stunt people. There was a group of actors that we were all together, and then the the crowd was subsidized by stunt people, and they. They engineer the stunts, build the stunts, execute the stunts. And, you know, these were long, long days at Sony Studios. And I remember it was a Friday, and I think I'd had already that week, like 25 hours of overtime, which meant they did as well, at least. And they were so anxious to get out, to leave Sony, because they were gonna catch one of the last flights out to fly to Aspen so they could snowboard for the weekend. And these were not children. I mean, these were guys and gals who were like in their mid forties. And I thought, well, I'm going home and taking a nap. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> so that was th- that was a really, really special time to have exposure to something that had that kind of largesse and a whole group of artisans uh with a skill set that is extraordinary to me
2: and final thing favorite moment of your career
1: i i've had the opportunity on stage to win two big acting awards best performances and uh both of them i was very proud of particularly one where i had produced a piece that was about a woman who had um a severely disabled child and I have a severely disabled sibling so to be able to take a life experience uh and translate it into something theatrical and to be acknowledged for that really meant a great deal to me so yes and I, and I'm always I'm grateful to work I you know I'm a character actor I'm a good utility player. I I I show up on the set like a happy gal. So.
2: That's great. Well, it's just amazing. It just goes to show you. You had such a small role on Seinfeld, but it just goes to show you. You never know who's going to be an amazing guest, and you were certainly incredible. Uh, it, it was a pleasure to talk to you, and we we just can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are
1: so so welcome. It really was a pleasure to talk with you guys, and I give you. Uh, Again, I I'm very inspired by by what you're doing and how you're doing it and, you know, stay the course. And I can't wait to see what you tackle next.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, no, you had some amazing stories and it's just so great to hear the perspectives of people that, you know, you may have had just. a Well, you you know, people might think of it just a small role or just a few lines, but it doesn't matter. You're a part of the Seinfeld lexicon. And for that, you know. We thank you for, uh, for everything.
1: <laughs> well, here we go. Congratulations. Yay. We did good.
2: <laughs> thank you so well, much. Have, have a great night. Take care. Thank, thank you, you have so a good much.
1: Night. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at seinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at the Place to Be, a seinfeld Podcast. Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld and Instagram at the You can find our show on anchor, Spotify, Google podcasts, breaker, pocket Casts, radio, public, and Apple podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out until next time. Be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Which one's supposed to be the funny guy. Oh, he's the comedian. <laughs> I'm just a regular person. No, no. He's just being modest. <laughs> We had a funny guy with us in Korea. Tail gunner. They blew his brains out all over the Pacific.
2: There's nothing funny about that.